Hey everyone, you're listening to the 107 podcast where we get together every fortnight to talk about technology, business and the humans in it. I'm your host, Ivan Stegic. In this episode of the podcast, I'm chatting with Wilbur Ince, who is a front-end developer at Electric Citizen, an avid cyclist, an active member of the Twin Cities Drupal group, and has described himself as anti-war and pro-people. He's based right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm so glad to be talking with him today. Wilbur, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. It's nice outside again. We've been doing all these podcasts in the cold winter and the last couple of weeks. The sun is shining. It's, it's good to be alive. It has been a very interesting spring, hasn't it? We have, I don't know that it's ever lasted so long before. I agree. It, and it seems like the trees and the grass suddenly became green. I think the biggest thing I notice now is that the length of the day is already longer. And it, it seemed like we missed spring. It's all, all of a sudden we're in summer. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. So I wanted to start with your name, Wilbur Ince. Um, I've seen it spelled with a Y online, and I've, and I've made the mistake of um, actually writing it with a Y. I, th I think it's a mistake, but I think that's your username. I'm not sure. So I want to ask you about the difference between them because there's also two websites. At some point, I realized to go on websites with Wilbur, you're always going to be fighting and have to have a unique name like Wilbur-Ince, Wilbur.Ince, Wilbur.6148. <laughs> and uh, I, I saw somebody else, I actually copied it, uh, where they replaced the I's with Y's. And uh, I came up with Wilbur, and uh, I, I have almost no problem getting that everywhere. So any social media, any kind of website presence, if you look for Wilbur. That's really a great way to kind of hack the system. I tried doing yeah. that as well with my first name, but there's a ton of people with yeah. Ivan. And then even exchanging the A with the number four doesn't really help either. So kudos yeah. to you. Now, your last name, Ince, I did a little bit of research. It's either, yeah. it's either from one or two counties in the northwest of England, or it's a Turkish name. Have you, have you researched your ancestors? You know, I haven't done a lot of that, but my, my brother and my sister have. They've done a ton of work on that. Actually, you're, you're wrong on both, and that's interesting. Oh. So, <laughs> so uh, we do know and have heard about the, uh, there's a Turkish movie director that has the last name Ince. I'm trying to think if that's Will or not, if it's Will Ince. I also know about England, but really where it came from is that uh, we were German immigrants, And uh, we had a very complicated name. It was spelled U-N-E-C-T-Z. At immigration, uh, the three brothers were there, and they looked at him, and they said, no, that's not going to go here. And so the three brothers actually picked three different der derivations of that, U-N-C-E, U-N-Z-E, and I-N-C-E. And uh, those three brothers all settled in Minnesota, and so we had relatives that are named Unz that are, you know, far back related to us in the same town that I grew up. I grew up in Shakopee. 
in Shakopee, and, twin cities. Yeah. and you said that your ancestors settled in Minnesota, so you are truly born and bred Minnesotan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been here. I've been here my whole life. I actually spent a little bit of time in um, in Brussels in the mid '90s. Uh, before I was a technical guy, I was uh, I'm actually a, was a marketing guy, and I worked with the frequent flyer business and uh i i lived in brussels for a couple years and i missed minnesota and i came back here why did you go to brussels uh i worked with the sabina the the airline the ex-airline of belgium and uh i helped them launch their frequent flyer program my goodness i i think they're called brussels airlines right now oh is that right and And we ended up flying over spring break with them over to Brussels. So we were just recently in Brussels. It's a beautiful town, beautiful city. And it's a great place to land as an expatriate. I was there for a couple of years and it's, it's nice, but they have spring and they have fall. There's no winter and there's no summer. You know, we're, we're really lucky to live in a place that you can get a hundred degree days and you can get... (laughs) minus 40 degree days you know for those of us who don't have ac 100 degrees right now sounds like hell yeah oh yeah yeah it can be you know i think the worst thing about warm weather is when it's at night you know if it's if it's 90 degrees at night it's that's impossible it is impossible so you grew up in minnesota spent some time in brussels belgium came back to minnesota um it sounded like you became a technical guy from being a marketing guy when about did that happen um you know i I had a pretty typical uh american upbringing i have actually about 50 first cousins we have huge we're german catholics so big families wow yeah and so i was uh one of the first people to go to college and so uh you know you studied hard and uh I went to college, I graduated from the University of Minnesota, I worked a couple of years and then went back and got my MBA and ended up, you know, working in in, uh, frequency marketing. That's the marriage of marketing and technology, you know, we're tracking people's behavior and we're tracking things and then we're rewarding for them for that or encouraging them to buy more things. And uh, in that process, uh, I realized I was a technical guy. I just love to solve puzzles and problems and have just sort of a terrier kind of a personality about learning and finding about things, you know. What I also found out was that I'm not a very good marketing person because in marketing, you have to lie a lot. And I really, that was just too much, you know. Yeah. I actually retired from marketing in 1994. After having a successful run as a marketing person, I just, I just thought there was something else. And of course, in 1994, technology was just really taking off. That was, that was the way to go. And I, I didn't know what I was going to do after marketing, but that seemed to figure itself out. I know Drupal wasn't around in 94, so you must have done something to do with yeah. technology and the web before Drupal. And right. I guess the question is, what was that thing and why did you come to Drupal? Yeah, so uh, after being a marketing guy, really, I made my life a lot simpler. I was doing a lot of work with a nonprofit bike shop in town um, where we were recycling bicycles and, and teaching people bicycle skills. 
and uh, they needed a website. At that time, you know, we were hard coding websites and I got to a point and I said, hey, you know, I, I, it would be great to have this menu show up the same on every page. And somebody said, you should look at PHP. That's the thing. PHP is the thing. And uh, somewhere along the way there, I, I figured out PHP. And then I, I met a woman named Allie Mika. Oh, Allie. Shout out to Allie Mika. Allie Mika is, she is, if you would look at the etymology of, or, or the, the tree of where everyone came through and got exposed to Drupal in the Twin Cities, she's probably touches everyone. So she got me on Drupal and I, I started looking at that. And my intention was really, you know, to get websites to people that, that didn't have money to build them, you know, nonprofits and little, little local organizations. And that's where, that's how I got into Drupal. And I, so I just sputtered around and made a lot of websites for a lot of people and a lot of different little causes. And it took me a long time uh, to figure out that I, I don't even know when I became a pro. I think it was a couple of years ago. And all of a sudden you just sort of realize to yourself, it's like, I guess I'm, I guess I'm really, this is my thing. I'm really pretty good at this. I know a lot more than I thought I did. And I'm writing invoices every month and I'm getting paid to do this. And this thing yeah. that I love that used to be a hobby is actually turning into a profession. Right. It's, I, I think it came clear when, when you would get questions from people about how to do something and then you'd be like, oh, that's easy here. Just do this and that and that. And, and when you answered more questions than you had, I think that's when I was like, oh, yeah, I think I, maybe I know what I'm doing. So your, so your introduction to Drupal and to the Drupal Twin Cities community really comes through um, Allie. And, you know, she is one of the um, kind of the, the roots of the, the Drupal Twin Cities group. I really should ask Allie to join me on the podcast. That would be a really interesting uh, that would, discussion, that would be I amazing. think. Yeah. And do you recall the first Drupal event in the Twin Cities that you ever attended? I don't. Uh, I worked at a nonprofit bike shop over in St. Paul. It's called Cycles for Change. We were in the Renaissance building in downtown St. Paul. I had met Allie at, a, I think, a PHP user group meetup. She was looking for space and she moved into that building. And uh, so that was, man, that was a long time ago, 2005, 2004. But I think there's a lot of common stories in, in the Twin Cities about people that came to Drupal kind of organically through other things, especially through the nonprofit community and, and activism. I think that's really a big, a big part of our, the Twin Cities that makes it special is uh, how many people use Drupal because they have this community focus, you know, and giving back, you know, kind of a thing. I agree. And it, it strikes me that everything that the Drupal Camp Twin Cities has done in the last uh, several years since its existence, I think we've had, what is this, our sixth camp coming up now, fifth or sixth? All of it has happened through volunteer. Yeah. And um, no, like, you get you get sponsors of the camp, but the camp itself is all run by volunteers every year, and it amazes me that it happens every year, year after year. And I think that activism that runs through the community is what what drives that. You're a very highly active member of the community. 
you know, it's it's great to it's great to hang out with people like that, you know, and and be part of an organization like that. And you, you talk about this camp, right? I mean, when you think about it, we just went through and did the the sessions. We picked the sessions. You look at the sessions, and we have a hard time every year because we have too many advanced sessions. And we look at the camp and we say, what are people that are new to Drupal? Do we have enough sessions for them? Because we have such high flyers in this in this area and such good sessions, you know. If, if you look at a camp like that, if you'd look at an event like that, four days, and it cost $35. I mean, you go to other camps, you know, lunch costs $35. Right. On a, a $1,000, $1,500 uh, conference fee, you know, we're, we're doing this for nothing. It's, we are it's, doing it for nothing. It's really amazing, you know. It's and really, it's four uh, days of programming as well. It's not yeah. a day conference or two-day conference. Do you want to talk about what it looks like this year, when it is? Uh, yeah. Uh, we're, you know, every year we, we plan this thing. We, we're, we seem to be letting it go a little bit farther before we really dig our heels in. And I think this is the – we're really having a little trouble just because we're for, so far behind. But I think that's part of the mystique of these camps is that they're organized by people and that – you know, let's let's all get together, and if you have something to talk about, then come and talk about it. What's been happening the last couple of days is our web form on the website was not forwarding messages to us, <laughs> and so we were we the first day is training, and we were kind of scrambling because we were trying to get together some training options, and now we have those three trainings set up, and we had three. People, three organizations that had contacted us asking if we they could do training at our camp. And so now we're adding a, a fourth and a fifth training session and maybe a sixth. Wow. I thought we were only adding a fourth one. I didn't realize we might actually be adding three more. That's incredible. Six training sessions. You know, the fourth is official and the fifth and sixth are, are potential. So, and I mean, this is... Um, uh, Promit is one of the places. Uh, Mike Anello, who does a, a very famous Drupal podcast, um, wants to come and do a session because he's going to come to our camp. It's it's raining training sessions on us. It's raining training. So, I, <laughs> so the first day is June 7th. Um, we're doing all yeah. of those trainings. The second day is the Friday. So yeah. the 7th is a Thursday. The second day is a Friday. Yeah. The keynote's still scheduled for that Friday. Am I right? I think that's right. I haven't I haven't been involved with the with the keynote planning, but uh, but that the keynote would be on Friday, and then we'd have just uh, sessions on Saturday, and then a sprint still on the Sunday, and then a sprint on Sunday, right, right. And but, uh, I, I look, we just published the the schedule, so go and take a look at it. But a lot of really uh, power packed presentations. It's going to be really a, a fun camp, a really. A, Great for people that have been working with Drupal 8 and want to, and want to kind of level up. This is the place to really get some questions answered and really find out from people that are really doing it in the field. It should be really good. That's tcdrupal.org, right, yep. Wilbur? Yep, tcdrupal.org. Yeah. One more question about the camp, if you don't mind. Sure. 
One of my first interactions I remember with you was helping out with one of the parties. And I know you used to yeah. used to be the head honcho for the uh, the main guy, the big squeeze for the Saturday night or the Friday night party. Yeah. Yeah. Any plans for that this year? Are you helping out with that again or You know, I'm I'm not on the on the party circuit at this time. And I, I don't, I don't know what's going on with that. Sorry, there's so much. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to do with the party, you know, uh, or of with the camp. You know, uh, the first couple of years I worked with the, the Friday night party. For a few years, I was the kind of the guy on the Saturday party. Now the Saturday, the Friday party is kind of the official party, and then the Saturday party was like, okay, this thing is done. And it's really more the organizer's party. The community we can finally, party. We can finally relax. Yeah. Right? Just like, let's just hang out. We don't have any anything to manage anymore. So that was kind of fun because uh, I took the lead from some other people that said, you know, the, the, kind, the best kind of a party is not at a bar where there's music blaring and you can't talk to anybody. It's really a kind of a comfortable place to hang out. So I, I got uh, a friend of mine and I do a, a micro cinema called Casket Cinema. And he has a studio space in Northeast Minneapolis. And so I got his space and uh, had somebody come and just cater a barbecue. We shuttled people to and from the event on, uh, I'm on a bicycle club and we used our, our converted school bus, a 1988 school bus to, to shuttle people back and forth. And, That was that was really that was really one of those for me one of those really fun times when everybody can just hang out and relax and it was totally that hip northeast Minneapolis artist scene you know kind of played out. I recall hanging out on the roof of that bus. Yeah, and I I couldn't understand how it was that you had access to a bus of such of such sorts. And then I got to talking to you, and it was um, it was very evident that you were involved in this thing called Ragbri. That I still not I'm still not really sure exactly what it is. I think it's a week long bicycle trip, but I'm not exactly. Do you want to tell us a little more about sure. what that is? Sure, I'm involved with a, a very a very unorganized organized club called <laughs> team team roadkill um, team roadkill and uh, we had a couple of uh, lawyers on our on our crew and they got us incorporated as a nonprofit and we own a bus together uh, 1988 GMC customized school bus it, it's funny because it, it, we have this really this really good organization and sort of We look good on paper, and it's just a bunch of people that like to get together and ride and, and drink beer. Our big event every year is called the RAGBRAI. It's, it, it's an acronym that's short for Registers Annual Great Bike Ride Across Iowa. So this is an event. Uh, if anybody that's, anybody that's been from Iowa knows this, this is actually the largest and the oldest ride in the country. Uh, organized bicycle ride. Uh, every year, about 12,000 people go across Iowa, seven days from the Missouri River to the Mississippi. Um, in this annual pilgrimage, they pick a different route across Iowa every year and stop in at small towns and 
it really captured the small town and middle America feel of Iowa. So you ride into some small town and uh, you buy uh, homemade pie from a church lady that makes these pies, you know, every every week for church. And she charges you a dollar fifty for the pie, and she thinks she's making a killing because you only use <laughs> charges a dollar for that pie. And you think you're in heaven because you're getting a slice of homemade pie from a, a lady in Iowa for a buck and a half. Wow! And yeah. do you? So you must have someone that drives the bus that isn't riding. Yep. Someone yep. that keeps track of the whole maintenance of all of these bikes. And then do you camp? Do you camp every night? Or how does, yep. how does that part work? It's, it's a camping thing. Uh, the, the whole idea of the team kind of came around on the, on the RAGBRAI because when you have 12,000 people going into a small town in Iowa, uh, facilities become stretched to the max. Mm. And so the team, our local, our, our club, kind of takes care of a lot of things that are, are difficult in that situation. So we have a shower system on our bus for people to take showers at night, wow. which is pretty, pretty decadent on this kind of an event. We've been doing this for, uh, our club is about 35 years old. I'm not, I'm not the original people that put this together. We have so many people that have ridden with us and gone along with us that pretty much anywhere we go in Iowa, we have connections to somebody's family, and we stay in their yard rather than in the campground over at the county fair. You get to really meet people, and and it's a lot it's a lot more civilized than being in a giant campground with twelve thousand other people. Wow! And that's this July. Every year, the last full week of July, everybody rides across Iowa. This will be my twentieth year doing this. Wow, and you must spend a fair amount of time practicing and training for the for the ride. I mean, it's it's one week from one major river to another in Iowa. There has to be a. I'm guessing there must be 150 miles at least. Uh, it's it's the average is about 60 miles a day. Um, they they kind of alter the route. Um, Right now, they're, they've really been keeping the distances per day pretty low to keep the family factor there. Um, so between 50 and 75 miles a day. Uh, at, at some point in the 90s when I was doing it, uh, they were really – there's a lot of partying that goes on on this ride, if you can believe <laughs> And during the day, people drinking beer in these small towns. And so they really wanted to get rid of the, the party factor on the, on, the, on the back side of the ride. You know, these are the people that kind of lag. And so the, they were they were making uh, one year they had uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday were all ninety miles plus per day, and that's that's killer. It's killer, especially in Iowa in summer. You know, you can get a you can get a hundred degree day, you can get a twenty mile an hour headwind, and uh, that just that can just destroy everyone. You know. But then the partiers just get on their school buses and drive to the next event. So, <laughs> so they abandon that. So you're involved in the Drupal community. You're involved with Team Roadkill and RAGBRAI. But you're also an activist. You've been doing yeah. work with Amnesty International recently. You know, one of the, one of the things that changed after I got out of marketing and uh, 
kind of had some successful years was that uh, I realized it's it's easy for you to get a, a, a fancy job and make a ton of money and have as much money as you want. But that's really not what life is about for me, you know. I did a lot of reading up on on this and philosophy of what kind of a person I wanted to be in. And I came upon an idea that I was going to spend, you know, one third of my time doing work, charitable work for other other organizations, other people. And I, and I try and keep that up. And, and that's pretty easy for me. So uh, I really like Amnesty International right now. That's really, that's, that's a great organization because they speak out for prisoners of conscience. And it's very satisfying as an individual to work and collect signatures and uh, to send these petitions on to uh, despot leaders in, a, in another country and say, hey, you know, there's this person you put in prison and you need to give them a fair trial and you need to right, drop all charges and release them. And when that happens, a local kid from Shakopee makes an impact on the world. That's, that's really satisfying. And, and the other kind of activism I really like to do is really local stuff. That, that doesn't happen. I, I worked with the bike shop here. It's a nonprofit bike shop that really advocates uh, bicycle transportation for people. And when you can just sit down and work with the public, right, and, and make a difference in somebody li- somebody's life, that's, that's, that's fantastic, you know. Empower somebody to, to take control of their life by getting on a bike and riding to work. What's the name of the bike shop? Uh, Cycles for Change. They have two locations, one over in St. Paul and one over in Minneapolis. Is that the um, so is that the nonprofit that's on uh, Chicago in South Minneapolis? Uh, no, that's Full Cycle, actually. Oh, that's Full Cycle. That's another nonprofit cycle yeah. shop, right? Yeah. Cycles for Change came up with a really revolutionary program and what they're doing is they call it the bike library. And so yeah, think of it like a library. A person comes and they say, I'd love to have a bike. And you say, that's, that's great. Here, we'll check you out a bike. But it's not just a bike. You get a bike. You get a helmet. You get panniers so that you can carry your groceries to, to and from the grocery store. You get um, access to training to maintain your bike. You get uh, uh, riding lessons. They're not called riding lessons. What are they called? Uh, <laughs> cycling, cycling lesson, right? Uh, how to how to ride safely in the city? What what to avoid? What not to avoid? You know, uh, we think oh, it, it's as easy as riding a bike, but but really, right? There's a lot of strategies to making being a bike rider a lot nicer. And so you get all this stuff and you say, here you go. Here's all this stuff. And people come in and they work on their bike and they learn about it. And after six months, they go back and they talk to the person. They say, how's it going? Are, are you riding to work? Are you using your bike a lot? And if the person says, no, it's just not for me, right? It, it doesn't work for me. No problem. You can give us the bike back. Everything's great. If it's great, if they're doing it, they say, here, the bike's all yours. You know, the bike is, the lock, the helmet, all that stuff. 
we made a new bike rider and now we can go on and work on the next one. Wow. What an incredible program. And that's, yeah. um, that's free to the individuals that are participating. Free to the individuals. They just apply. They say, I have a need. This is what I want to do. And you know, they take it from there. So that's, and they've done that for, for hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people already. And it's like, it's really a, a program where it's like, let's just not put out free bicycles. Let's really like, change people into bicyclists i love the idea of a, of it being a library where it works yeah. out or it doesn't work out it doesn't work out no big deal we read the book didn't like the book bring the book back yeah and, and, and right it, it, there's no shame in that right but now yeah. you really you gave it a, a good chance and we took away as many of the barriers as possible and try to make you as successful as possible So they're online at cyclesforchange.org. And is yes. that a website you help them with as well? Yeah. Uh, this, this, this might be one of those uncomfortable, embarrassing moments because uh -oh. I, that was one of the, remember I said when I, you first learned how to do, do websites, I worked on their website and we had a Drupal website there. And I learned so many things from that website for many years. And, uh, Then I, I took a little break from Cycles for Change, but I, I helped them with their hosting. And that's what I really did. I, I still manage their hosting, but now they had a, a group come in and say, hey, we have a bunch of students that are learning that other content management system, WordPress. And so uh, they built a website and I said, that's great. You know, let's let's use your website. And But what I do is I give them some continuity with that. And if I, I take care of that. I'm their DevOps for their website. And if they have any issues, then I take care of that. So, And I don't think and that's been happening for uh, 2005. So how many years is that? 13. <laughs> that's a long time. I've been there. A long time. That's a lot of donated uh, hosting. Yes, it is. So. I don't think there's any shame in... in um in the switch to to wordpress at all it sounds like it was the right thing for them at the right time so kudos to you for supporting them i do want to just take one step back and ask a little more about amnesty international i've always sure. thought of them as a large international organization that does things for human rights that really i have no power of changing or participating but it sounds like you're doing that it sounds like they have a local chapter of some sort can you speak more to maybe a case that you're working on right now i don't know if you call them cases how yeah. you got involved with amnesty and maybe how others might get involved as well if if they have the have the inkling yeah yeah amnesty is a large international organization and they were originally their mission or their their continued mission is to speak out for prisoners of conscience. And so uh, their main work is that uh, they have country specialists that investigate cases that are reported of prisoners of conscience. And they get the facts and they figure this out. And then they'll organize campaigns to put pressure on people to alleviate that situation. So that's the, that's the international organization that everybody knows and that people get a, a membership to and they pay their you know, $35 a year and they're a member of Amnesty International. Uh, then that campaign is there and that is uh, typically letter writing campaigns 
where we'll be writing letters to the leaders of those uh, countries or to the prime ministers or to whoever is in charge that can make an effect. And people like you and I will sign those petitions. We can go online to Amnesty International or Amnesty USA, and we can sign those petitions. And those get sent to those, those leaders. Then the local chapters are kind of a, a, another part of this in that we can actually do our own sort of individual events to, to support that. That's really where I'm involved with the organization. And uh, that's where you can meet other people. And we can, what, what we like to do in the Twin Cities a lot is to um, piggyback on other, other organizations' events and be there as a place and say, oh, if you're, if you're interested in this, then here, here's a way you can help. You can sign petitions about these. So, so it's not all places have a local organization, but, but we're really lucky again in the Twin Cities here to have some really, uh, really prominent advocates uh, from the Philippines, uh, from uh, Nigeria, North Korea, there's a North Korea specialist that's in town. And, and we also have uh, the Humphrey Institute over at the University of Minnesota. They provide fellowships uh, for people that are human rights advocates. And so through that organization, uh, if you come to our local chapter meetings, which are the third Sunday of every month, it'll be this Sunday at two o'clock at First Congregational Church, um, we have speakers from all over the world that are directly involved with these actions that come in and talk to our group of 15 people. It's really impressive how quickly you can get associated with people that are really making a difference in the world. That's TwinCitiesAmnesty.org. Did I get that right? Yep, that's right. I just took a look at that. and um, That's my next Drupal website, actually. Is I'm it gonna, really? build them a new website, yeah. I just clicked on the link for the Facebook page, and it's showing three admins, all of whom I know. Chris Dart works for 107. He's one of our developers. So you know oh, Chris very well, I would imagine. I don't know Chris very well. Okay. You should, you should talk to him at the next Amnesty International meeting. I will. It's Sunday yeah. of every month from 2 to 4 at the First Congregational Church of Minnesota. Yeah. It's a humbling experience to be, and, and it's empowering to be able to just do a little bit of work and help other people, you know. When, when we think about our problems here and we look at some of these cases that we help, people that get thrown in prison, one of the things we do, our local chapter does, is we adopt a prisoner of conscience. Somebody who is in another country, and maybe it's a case that's fallen to the wayside, and we'll say, let's, let's do this, and, and let's actually start, let's try and call the prime minister. So we're working with, uh, our last case was with an Ethiopian journalist. His name was Eskinder Nega. And this guy... I mean, if you think we have courage, this guy was a journalist in Ethiopia, which has a pretty horrible human rights record. And he would write about how he disagrees with the government. And he gets thrown in jail in 2005. And he spends seven years in prison 
and there's an amnesty campaign, and he gets out. He does. And he comes back out, and he starts writing again about things in Ethiopia, and he gets thrown back in jail, and he spent six more years in jail. And so this was a case that had fallen by the wayside, and our, our local group picked it up, and we started making calls, and we actually had an Ethiopian refugee here that was still connected in Ethiopia, and he started making calls. Some things have happened in Ethiopia where they're, they're releasing a lot of prisoners of conscience, and Iskandar Nega got released again. And wow. he was getting around with a bunch of things, and he got thrown in prison again, but now he's out again. When I think about my activism, right, I just am organizing volunteers to, to sign letters. I'm not getting thrown in jail. No, you know, over and over again. So people like that, real freedom fighters, right? Really people that are trying to change the system. That's, that's amazing. That is amazing. And um, kudos to you for doing that. I, I admire that um, activity that you have and, and the amount of time that you spend and your principled just persistence with this. Do you ever get a chance to arrange a meeting or a, a meetup with any of the people that you've helped? Through the miracles of uh, Zoom meetings like this, and what, what's the other one? Uh, Hangouts and Skype. Hangouts and FaceTime. Stuff. We've had, we've had uh, calls with people, and I was really trying to get us to have a call with the Skindar Nega and really to complete that circle. And just, it, it almost makes me cry to think that we could get him on the phone and say, hey, you know, we just, it's great to meet you and you, we want you to know that you were our prisoner of conscience and we really pushed hard to get you out and it's, it's great that you're there. So, and, and that's, that's maybe some of the miracle of our technology, right? Is that we could, we could make that happen. We could have a Skindar Nega at one of our meetings in that's Minneapolis. Just, it's just a wonderful um, part of what technology can do. And I hope that we continue to invest in the, the open web and in the principles that we've, we believe in the fact that the internet can help more than just yeah. um, bad actors and that there are more good actors on the web and in the world. And that ultimately we're all just humans trying to make it to the next day. So if someone wants to get involved with um, Amnesty International, they can go to TwinCitiesAmnesty.org or to just Amnesty.org and either become a member or um, contribute a donation. I think the best place to get information if you're on Facebook is to look up Amnesty Group 37. So Amnesty International Group 37 in the Twin Cities. Um, yeah. And the meeting is this Sunday, so see you there. Sounds great. <laughs> Wilbur, thank you very much for spending this time with me. It's truly been a pleasure to get to know you a little better and to speak with you. You bet. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're Wilbur, that's W-Y-L-B-U-R on Drupal.org and also on Twitter and wherever other social media is on the web. Wilbur.us. We'll see you online. Find us online at 107.com slash podcast. And if you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. Until next time, this is Ivan Segic. Thank you for listening. <laughs>